Today we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 2, the first three verses in Genesis chapter 2. It should be on page 3 in the Pew Bible. Genesis chapter 2, 1 through 3. And this is the seventh day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is word of the Lord. When my family used to live in Israel, we were in a conservative Jewish neighborhood. So on every Sabbath, from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, our neighbors stayed away from anything and everything that their religion would consider work. For example, it, was, it is unlawful for them to cook on the Sabbath. But at the same time, they're mandated to have three Sabbath meals. So what do you do? You prepare everything beforehand. But if you're a foodie, you might be asking yourself, how do you keep your food warm? Right? Because nobody wants that cold pizza, although they probably don't eat cold pizza. The trick is you start slow cooking things before the sun goes down on, uh, on Friday. Because as long as you don't touch the oven or stir the pot, you're not breaking any Sabbath law. But people make mistakes. We all do. And on one Friday, our next-door neighbors made a colossal mistake. They thought that they were slow cooking something in the oven, but they did not set the oven at the right temperature. You know where this is going. In a few hours, the food was burning and the smoke filled the entire house. Normally, it wouldn't be such a huge deal. All you have to do is just turn off the oven. But it was the Sabbath day. They couldn't turn it off. It was unlawful. Fortunately, their next-door neighbor, my dad, was a pagan. So they started screaming for my dad. Mark him, Mark him, which means in Hebrew, Mr. Kim, Mr. Kim. So my dad rushed to their house, and they had already opened the doors for him, which was lawful. I, I still don't get that, but it, it is lawful to open doors on the Sabbath day. So my dad was able to walk right in to turn off their oven, open the windows, and let the air out. We might find this sort of Sabbath observance kind of extremely strict, right? Almost legalistic. But until recently, Christians held similar Sabbath practices. Just 50 years ago, our denomination, the Christian Reformed Church, encouraged all member churches, and I quote, to guard the celebration of the Lord's Day, the Sabbath day, against the onslaught of secularization by only doing the works of necessity. When I was 11 or 12, my Sunday school group went bowling on Sunday. When my grandma, God rest her soul, found out about it, she began praying for me like the angel of death was about to come and get me. I'm sure most of you remember what Sunday used to be like. The Sabbath day used to be all about holiness. You went to church on Sunday to worship God. You most likely went twice, right? 
and you have fellowship with other Christians, and that is it. Or that was it. Of course, Christians have walked away from such strict Sabbath observance, but that hasn't necessarily been a good thing for us. The problem isn't no longer how strict our Sabbath observance is, but how lenient it has become. There has been this pendulum swing, and now Christians just do whatever they want to do on Sunday. Everything gets a green light. Sabbath used to be a holy day, but now it is all hashtag Sunday fun day. Holiness has lost its place when it comes to our Sabbath observance. So we need to take a moment and revisit the theology of the Sabbath, what it means, what it is for, and how we should observe it. And there's no better place to start than Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. The fourth commandment about the Sabbath day and all the other biblical references um, relating to the Sabbath day are rooted in these three verses. While we tend to focus on what God didn't do on the seventh day, these three verses focus on what God did do, on the fact that God rested on the seventh day. The word rest in Hebrew, of course, is Shabbat, from which we get the word Sabbath. In short, Sabbath means rest. Yet there is this lingering question, right? What was the nature of God's Sabbath rest on day seven? How did he rest? What did he do to rest? I cannot prove it, but I am 99.999% sure that God did not have Netflix. So how did he rest? Did he sleep in? Did he take a siesta in the afternoon? What did God's rest look like? I once saw a painting done by a child on Pinterest because nowadays that's where you go to find the greatest art of the time. Pinterest. The paintings show a nice white sandy beach with two palm trees, and from the palm tree was a hammock hanging, and in it was a man relaxing. On the bottom of the painting, there was a caption that read, on the seventh day, God rested. And that is sort of how we picture God's rest on the seventh day. We understand rest as a period of disengagement, when we remove ourselves from everything in life, not just from work, but also from our responsibilities, our worries, and our cares. Because we equate rest with disengagement, when we hear that God rested on day seven, we picture God disengaging from his work, his responsibilities, and his cares. He is relaxing in a hammock under palm trees on a nice white sandy beach. And unfortunately for many Western people, including Christians, God is still relaxing in a hammock. He is still disengaged. You might have heard of the moralistic therapeutic deism. The term refers to the set of five popular religious beliefs commonly held by American teenagers. And one of the beliefs says that God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when he is needed to resolve a problem. The God of the moralistic therapeutic deism therefore stays distant and far off. He only shows up 
when he is called upon to help someone out. And that's the God that our teenagers believe in today. Our teenagers believe in a God who is disengaged and distant. But there is more. The moralistic therapeutic deism was first introduced in 2005. The teenagers from that year are now adults in their 20s and 30s. I was one of them. Further research has shown that it's not just a certain age group that believes in the moralistic therapeutic deism. It is actually more widespread than first believed. So the moralistic therapeutic deism goes by a new name, a more alarming name, the new American religion. Because people think that God is distant and far off, they see no danger or wrong in pursuing just whatever makes them happy with no regard for what God says in the Bible or how their actions might impact others. Because they assume that God is relaxing in a space hammock somewhere in a galaxy far, far away, they would rather put their hope and trust in the things of the world, things like a political party, nationalism, and a trending movement. Because we believe that God is disengaged, Engaging with God and reading scripture and praying is often our last resort. But in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, God did not disengage from his work of creation. Matter of fact, he couldn't disengage because the work was already finished on day 6. So here comes the question, what then do we mean by Sabbath? If not disengagement, how then do we understand that on the seventh day, God rested from all his work? The answer lies in the purpose of God's creation. If you had a chance to listen to my last two sermons, you might remember, I hope you remember, but you maybe don't, but I really hope that you remember that the purpose of God's creation was to create this functional cosmos. God turned chaos to, fun chaos to order, functionlessness to function, and lifelessness to life. And in that, God gave birth to his shalom in his creation. When we hear the term shalom, we think peace. But in Hebrew, shalom is much more than that. Shalom means wholeness, wholeness that includes order, stability, fruitfulness, and uh, did I say peace? Maybe. Peace, stability, fruitfulness, and order. Shalom ultimately means that things are exactly the ways that God intended them to be. And such shalom is the immediate context of day seven. God's Sabbath rest on the seventh day came from shalom which God instituted in his creation. Think of it this way. Hypothetically, let's say that you and I know a couple who took a long biking trip through Europe. Of course, you and I do not know anyone who would do such a thing, but let's just imagine that we did, right? After their physically demanding trip, they took a long flight home. Undoubtedly, they would want to rest. But people in their situation don't just jump into their bed or ha have a siesta on their couch. They first unpack, do some laundry, clean the house a bit, right? Check the mailbox, mailbox, they water the plants and their lawn, 
after they had made sure that everything is the way that it's supposed to be, they can finally have their rest. Because there's no real rest apart from shalom. On day seven, God rested because there was shalom in his cosmos. Yet the nature of God's Sabbath rest is still unclear to us. How did he rest? What did he do to rest? We have so many questions. But for the ancient Israelites, this was very simple and easy to understand. For them, day seven was undeniably and unequivocally a temple text. What's a temple? It's God's dwelling place. And where does God rest? God rests in his temple. In other words, God was going to dwell in his creation, among his creatures, and especially with his representative image bearers. Consider the picture of the restoration that we see in Revelation 21, a new heaven and a new earth. It says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. In the beginning, God created the orderly, functional, life-supporting cosmos as his temple, as his dwelling place. That creation took six days. And on day seven, God took up his rest in his new residence, in his dwelling place. But he was not going to take his socks off and start disengaging. No. Now that his shalom was firmly established in his cosmos, he was going to start engaging with the world. He was, he was going start, to start to rule the world and exercise his authority over his creation. The Sabbath rest on day six meant that he was going to engage and get involved with his creation. The idea of the Sabbath rest is becoming very popular today. Pastors and professors are no longer the only ones who are taking sabbaticals anymore. The, the famous clothing company, Ralph Lauren, for example, now offers its employees paid sabbaticals. In fact, it's estimated that about 20% of all American companies now offer sabbaticals. The Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, Time, and so many others have recently published articles promoting sabbaticals. And while I was writing this sermon, I found out, or I discovered several companies who would love to plan and design your perfect, ideal sabbatical itinerary. The trends tell us people today are deeply longing for and desiring true rest. So people try to establish shalom in their lives because they understand that there is no real rest apart from shalom. But sooner or later, they all realize that in this world, there's no room for shalom. In this world, people have to constantly prove themselves. People must prove that they belong in their classroom, in their office, in their social circles. If they're lucky enough to prove that, then they're forced to prove that they are worthy of keeping their places in this world. They want to find peace, stability, fruitfulness, ultimately shalom that leads to real rest. But in this broken world, that is a never-ending, restless pursuit that leads to nowhere. St. Augustine's famous quote's never been truer. He said, our hearts are restless until we find rest in you. 
all human hearts, including ours, are restless today because in this world there is no shalom. But in God, there is shalom. So in God and only in God, we may experience true rest. God's Sabbath rest on day seven reminds us that in the beginning, God created his shalom. God instituted his shalom in the world. And even though we brought our brokenness into this world, this world is still God's world. He hasn't abandoned it. He is not disengaged from it. He still rules it all and exercises his authority over it all. He is very much engaged and involved in every square inch of his cosmos. Furthermore, that Sabbath rest on day seven points us toward the future rest that we will have in his coming kingdom, in a new heaven and a new earth. The picture that we see in Revelation 21 is the world where his shalom is fully restored, where restless people can finally have their rest in God's shalom. In our world, looking for peace and stability is a never-ending, meaningless pursuit. But in God's coming world, in God, his shalom is a guarantee because the power of Jesus Christ has begun restoring all things to the ways that God intended them to be. And earlier today, as Matthew and Michael made their professions of faith, you and I were reminded that we, along with the rest of God's people, are the fruits of Jesus' restoration. He has brought us from death to life. He has delivered us from our brokenness and sinfulness into his shalom that leads to rest. So he tells us in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. In this, verse, in this verse, Jesus is actually talking about his shalom that he's going to give to us, his shalom that leads to real rest. So in the same verse, Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. In Matthew 12, Jesus calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the one that gives us real, true rest. Every Sabbath, Jesus gathers Christians like you and me from this unstable, broken, dysfunctional world to himself so that we may find rest in his shalom. When the fourth commandment tells us to remember the Sabbath day, it is a call to remember where the true rest comes from. It comes from our Lord. When Christians like you and I worship together on Sunday, on the Sabbath day, it is the Lord of the Sabbath that we worship. And we keep the Sabbath holy by remembering that God is still engaged with his world, in this world, and that he's making all things new. Like the words of that famous hymn, this is still our Father's world, and we rest in that thought. This is our Father's world. Let us never forget that the wrong seems often so strong. God is still ruler yet. This is our Father's world, so why should our hearts be sad? The Lord is King, let the heavens ring. God reigns, let earth be glad. In our Sabbath worship, God calls us to remember the words of Jesus Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath, 
Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. And all God's people said, Amen. Pray with me. Gracious God, we thank you for reminding us that in a world so unstable and chaotic, you gather us every week to remind us of your shalom, your shalom that leads to rest. We pray for the grace to believe what we have heard and received today and to share it with all those who have not found real rest in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.